Praise God. We've said it and we continue to say it, that God has a success system and is a person. Jesus is God's success system. When you work this system, Jesus, you'll be successful consistently. Consistently. That's what systems do. They produce the desired result on a consistent basis. So this morning, I want us to look at lessons we can glean from Joseph's success. The Bible tells us that the Lord was with Joseph, and he was a successful man. Amen? Genesis chapter 41. Genesis 41. Don't, don't drop him now. Easy on her. Amen. It's a baby. Babies do cry. Amen? That's part of living. <laughs> Praise God. <laughs> Genesis chapter 41. Verse 1. Then it came to pass that at the end of two full years, the Pharaoh had a dream. And behold, he stood by the river. Suddenly there came up out of the river seven cows and fine looking and fat and a fat in the middle. Then behold, seven other cows came up after them out of the river, ugly and gaunt, and stood by the other cows on the bank of the river. And the ugly and gaunt cows ate up the seven fine looking and fat cows. So Pharaoh awoke. He slept and dreamt a second time, and suddenly seven heads of grain came up on, on one stalk, plump and good. Then behold, seven thin heads, blighted by the east wind, sprang up after them. And the seven thin heads devoured the seven plump and full heads. So Pharaoh awoke, and indeed it was a dream. Now it came to pass in the morning that his spirit was troubled, and he sent and called for all the magicians of Egypt and all its wise men. And Pharaoh told them his dreams, but there was, not, there was no one who could interpret them for Pharaoh. Let's just stop there. Let me just stop there. Now, I've, I've read this passage many times over. I'm sure you have done the same thing. But this time around, I asked myself that question. Something was about to happen on the earth at the time. Why did God choose to inform Pharaoh of all people of the impending global event that was to take place? Now, the reason I'm starting this message with this thought is because what we're going to learn from this will help you to know that you can take hold of the promises of God in your life and expect for them to come to pass. God is not a man that he should lie. Neither the son of man that he should repent. Has he not said it? Will he not make it good? I don't know where you are in the course of life, what curveballs life is throwing at you, the circumstance you may find yourself in, situation you are in, maybe you are in distress, you are in pain, 
Maybe you're in a hard place and you're wondering when, when, how, how, what, what, will it ever happen? The fact that God went to Pharaoh and troubled him with two dreams of something that was about to happen in the future should be of great comfort to every one of us. Why would God do a thing like that? A couple of reasons. Number one, in Genesis chapter 12, in verse 3, God made a promise to Abraham. Ab, that must have been the way they talked. I will bless them that bless you. Take it to the bank, Abraham. Whoever shows you favor and bless you in your sojourn, I will remember to also bless them back. So you say, well, how and when did Egypt bless Abraham? In Genesis chapter 12, after God has spoken to Abraham, the Bible said Abraham left the land of Canaan because there was great famine in Canaan and went to Egypt. So Egypt received Abraham in a time of his need. Oh, I don't know about you this morning, this afternoon. I don't know about you. I don't know about you. But whoever will stretch for their hands and bless you because you are a carrier of the covenant of God, because you are a carrier of God's grace, because you are a carrier of the name of the Lord Jesus, God will mark and take note of that. You follow me this morning? So God made a promise to bless those who bless Abraham. And we can see that Abraham fled to Egypt to avoid the famine in Canaan in Genesis chapter 12, verse 10. Secondly, secondly, not only did God tell Abraham that he will bless them that bless him, God also told Abraham another thing. He said, I will make of you a great nation. Not only am I going to bless everyone that bless you, but I'm also going to make of you a great nation. You are a one man right now, Abraham. You are just one person. But from what I'm seeing in your destiny, there's a nation at stake. I'm looking at you, but I'm seeing nations. In the process of time, I will multiply you so much, you become a nation. You are looking at yourself right now. You say, well, I have $1, I have $5, I have $10, I have one house, one car. You are, you, 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 I hope you don't fall into that habit of, of, of labeling, defining who you are by your present condition. Because God that's dealing with you is a God who's able to make those things that are not as though they are. So rather than look at yourself and say, this is all I have. No, 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 no. This is just a point in time. It's not over for you yet. You don't know where God is taking you. But at the end of the day, by the time you get to the end of your journey, you can look back and say, God, you have been faithful. Hallelujah. You can say, God, you are a faithful God. Hallelujah. He is faithful. He said, Abraham, I'm going to make of you a great nation. Okay. So I hear that, Abraham. What's that got to do with this? A whole lot. Because in Genesis 34, the sons of Jacob, they got themselves in a real jam. 
I don't have time to go into the whole story. Read that when you get home. It's a very short passage. Genesis 34. The sons of Shechem violated one of the daughters of Jacob. And when the sons of Jacob heard it and found out that these Canaanites had violated one of their sisters, they concocted a plan. Let's go there. Genesis 34. Let's go there quickly. Genesis 34. Verse 25. Why will God speak to Pharaoh? Why will he show him the things that were about to happen? Okay. So, Genesis 34, verse 25. Now it came to pass on the third day when they were in pain that two of, two of the sons of Jacob, Simeon and Levi, Dinah's brothers, each took his sword and came boldly upon the city and killed all the males. All of them. And they killed Hamor and Shechem his son with the edge of the sword and took Dinah from Shechem's house and went out. The sons of Jacob came upon the slain and plundered the city because their sister had been defiled. They took their sheep, their oxen, their donkeys, what was in the city, what was in the field, and all their wealth, all their little ones, and their wives, they took captive. And they plundered even all that was in the houses. My goodness, what kind of... I mean, can you imagine? This is, this is big time. Plundering. Wow. Then Jacob said to Simeon and Levi, you have troubled me by making me obnoxious among the inhabitants of the land, among the Canaanites and the Perizzites. And since I am few in number, they will gather themselves together against me and kill me. I shall be destroyed, my household and I. Whoa. You say, what's that got to do with what we're talking about? A whole lot. Again, let me paint the picture. Let me give you the context. Jacob and his sons, who is the grandson of Abraham, who will ultimately become the great nation that God promised Abraham. They were in Shechem among the Canaanites. And these Canaanites came and defiled one of the sons, one of the daughters of Jacob. And the brothers were so upset about that, and they concocted the plan and told those men, if you guys will be circumcised, then we will receive you as one of us, and you can keep our girl. So, they said, we agree to the term. We'll be circumcised. No big deal. We want the girl. We love her. Hey, we'll do it. So, they were circumcised. On the third day, when the pain of circumcision, circumcision was at its highest peak, they attacked the land and killed, the Bible says, all the males. No man left in that entire land. And Jacob said, my goodness, what have you guys done? We are few in number. When the rest of the nations around us hear of this, what do you think is going to happen? How does this work in the plan of God? Egypt was a standing, most powerful, 
civilized, most organized nation at that time. So God looked down in the hands of history and said, you know what? I need a nation in which I can give protective custody to this potential nation I'm about to build. Hallelujah. And God orchestrated events that ultimately got Israel into Egypt where they will be protected from anybody that deemed or tried or attempted to attack them for what they had done. And so now in Genesis 46, God spoke to Jacob. Jacob, do not be afraid to go down into Egypt. For there I will make of you the great nation. What I promised Abraham, I will bring it to pass in your lifetime. But it will happen where? In Egypt. My friends, God is absolutely trustworthy. You can take his word to the bank and put it in your self-deposit box. He hastens to perform his word. Not one word that God has spoken will fall to the ground and die. Absolutely not. But to bring forth whatever God said he will do. You can look at your neighbor and say, neighbor, take it to the bank. The word of God is sure. It is certain it will come to pass. What God promised Abraham, he fulfilled it absolutely and perfectly. And so now we are in Egypt. Why would God talk to Pharaoh? He talked to Pharaoh because he knew that Pharaoh was going to play, the, play a role that would keep his people. Egypt was the place where God's people would be protected. And so because of that, God brought a message of what was about to happen globally to Pharaoh. Now, for some of us, that should debunk our theology. For those of us that think you have to have a Christian president. Woo, hallelujah. To all my GOP friends who thinks God is a Republican. Hallelujah. I want you to know that God speaks to the heathen and to the saint. God is not limited by our politics. He's not limited by our thinking. He's bigger than all of that. God spoke to a pharaoh who did not know him. Gave him the plan for the world. Now, for those of you Democrats, don't, don't, don't be shouting. Don't shout me down. All of you Democrats in the house. Okay, your, your time is coming. We'll find a way to, to craft something, something for you. Amen. Praise God. So now Genesis 41. Genesis 41. The point being made here is, listen, God is able to speak to anyone he chooses to speak to. But not only that, that God's word is faithful. His word will come to pass in your life. Amen. No matter what, it will come to pass. Amen. So, Going on in Genesis 41, and we are looking at the lessons to be learned from the success of Joseph. Verse 12. Now there was a young Hebrew man with, a, with us there. Well, okay, let me pick up from verse, uh, verse 9. Verse 9. Genesis 41, verse 9. Then the chief butler spoke to Pharaoh, saying, I remember my faults this day. Hmm. When Pharaoh was angry with the servants, 
and put me in custody in the house of the captain of the guard. Both me and the chief baker. We each had a dream in one night, and he and I, each of us, dreamt according to the interpretation of his own dream. Now there was a young Hebrew man with us there, a servant of the captain of the guard, and we told him, and he interpreted our dreams for us. To each man, he interpreted according to his own dream. And it came to pass, just as he interpreted for us, so it happened. He restored me to my office, and he hanged him. Now, as we are looking at the lessons to be learned from Joseph's success, he is about to be brought before Pharaoh. But let me submit to you and share some things with you that prepared him even for that stage. Huge. Some things that Joseph had to have dealt with that prepared him to even appear before Pharaoh. What, is, what am I talking about? The issue of forgiveness. Joseph's, Joseph would not have even made it before Pharaoh if he had not reserved some things in his own heart. There are some of us here right now. Under the sound of my voice, you are angry at someone. You are living in strife. You are bearing, harboring unforgiveness in your heart. Even though God's system for success is Jesus, you need to understand there are certain things that will hold you a prisoner captive for the rest of your life if you don't deal, deal with it. To be sure, to be sure, let's put this on the table. Not forgiving will not stop you from going to heaven. Oh yeah, oh yeah. I, I know you're looking at me funny. I know Jesus said it, that if you don't forgive your friend, your father will not forgive you in heaven. Yes, he said that, but he said that where? Under the law. He said that to the Jews, under the law. You are no longer under the law. The only basis for forgiveness today is the blood of Jesus. Now what I do? Ephesians makes that very clear. Because if my going to heaven is, is, is to be determined by what I, how I forgive, then my works got me to heaven. It's of grace through faith, not of works, lest any man should boast. You will never be able to boast, say, I'm in heaven because I forgive Renee. So God now find, get me worthy. I, I, I did my good deed. No! Absolutely not. Who is quiet in this house? I gave you Bible. If I can, if, if I can put myself in it anyhow to say because I did this, therefore I qualify for this, then it's not of grace. And it's not of faith. It's of works. I can give you 14 scriptures that nullify that right away. No. It's by faith. Through the blood of the Lamb of God, Jesus Christ. That is why he and he alone is God's success plan. Not you, not me, not my rules and regulations, none of the above. Jesus, the only entity that God wants to deal with. We are saved not by what we do or can do, but by what he has done. Back to the point. It is important that you understand that even though God will not condemn you for not forgiving, I am saying to you, when you don't forgive, you are holding someone a prisoner. And that someone is you. 
the unforgiving person. Think about it. Stephen said something to me. I'm mad. I'm upset with him. And the guy was saying it as a joke. Did not even know that I'm offended. So I'm packed over here, mad as a snake. Stephen is having a good time. I'm the one in prison. Yes. Not him. Yes. I should not even wait for him to come back to me. Absolutely not. When did you go to Jesus to ask for forgiveness? And he said freely, Father, forgive them. They are not asking. They don't even have enough sense to ask. They don't even know what they have done. Forgive them anyway. Why? For they know not what they are doing. He gave it freely. Not because I asked. But because of the largeness of the grace upon his heart. That's what grace does. Grace freely gives. If you have to ask for it, it's not grace. That's why we call it unmerited favor. Undeserved favor. My God, you don't deserve it. You didn't ask for it, yet it's given in advance. So that when you need it, it's waiting for you. Ah! However, if you don't deal with it, by releasing forgiveness, you put yourself in prison. Serious prison. So we are not advocating for people living and not giving forgiveness. No, 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 no. For your own good. So you can break the chains that you put around your neck and on your hands. You need to live a lifestyle of freely forgiving people even before they ask for it. Even before they ask for it. You, 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 you can't afford the luxury. And you're going to see in Joseph's life in a minute how we can tell that he had forgiven. It is so obvious. But if we don't pay the time, pay the attention, and look through the scriptures carefully, we can miss them. I'm on this point this morning because it is important. This is where many of us tongue-talking, demon-chasing, God-praising, Miss it big time. We've received free forgiveness from God, but we are holding ourselves bonded. I'm not even talking about other people now. I'm talking about yourself. Because unforgiveness deals with you more than it deals with people you are, you are not forgiven. Huge. So Joseph had to have resolved that. How do I know he resolved it? And I want to be careful not to get ahead of myself. How do I know Joseph resolved it? Many ways, many reasons, many ways. Number one, the man had two kids, two sons. The very first son, Pastor Charles, he named him Manasseh, which means forget my Torah. Forgetting. I want to forget. I want to forget all the issues, all the past, the hurt, the rejection, the issues with my siblings. As long as I'm looking at you, Manasseh, you'll be a symbol of the, of the father of forgiveness. They are behind me. His first son. So every time he calls the boy, Manasseh, he said, I've forgotten. <laughs> oh, hallelujah. Every time he looks at that boy, looks at his own image, he said, I'm forgetting those things. Yes. I'm forgetting those things. I'm not going to let those things hold me hostage. Many of us are held hostage 
by the issues we are carrying. That's number one reason. Number two reason I know that he has forgotten and they have forgiven those guys. Notice, when Joseph came before Pharaoh, he never referenced the fact that he was there as a slave. He did not one time open his mouth and say, ah, by the way, this is my chance. You know that your, uh, uh, your what's, the, what's this guy's name? The, the guy whose wife, Potiphar. That's your sergeant, your brigadier, brigadier general. That brigadier general. His wife lied on me. That's why I was in prison. <laughs> Never. He did not at one time reference what got him to where he was. Just imagine if that was you. Before you can even tell Pharaoh his dream, ah, I know that I know I don't get this chance too many times. I really thank the Lord. A man's gift will bring before God. Before my gift. You, you first give Pharaoh two scriptures. And I said, Can we just go back there for a minute? I have some wicked brothers who sold me to the Ishmaelites, who sold me to Potiphar. Ah, but that Potiphar and his wife, they are devils. <laughs> He did not ask Pharaoh to commute his sentence. The man needs him right now. I, listen, I, I'm carrying what you need. Even though I'm carrying what you need, I will not make a bargain with you. Why? Because I know in who I have believed. This is not a bargaining session. When you recognize the glory you are carrying within yourself, you will not look at man and be bargaining with man. The reason we go there is because we don't know who we have. No. He did not complain on his brothers, which was a great thing because had he told Pharaoh about his brother's wickedness, how will Pharaoh be able to receive those boys when they came? Many of us, our mouth is what the enemy uses to destroy us. Those that God has set in your path to give you favor and to bless you, you destroy your maker or your helpers of destiny before them, before they could see them. So when they now meet those people, They've already made up their mind that these are useless human beings. Yeah. If he had mentioned the wickedness to Pharaoh, Pharaoh would not have been open to receive those boys when they came. And that would have shortcut, cut short the plan and purpose of God. Be careful what you say with your mouth. With your mouth, God ordained for you to bless and not to curse. By that I mean, don't use your mouth. Make sure you, you, you speak to your mouth. You will never use it to speak anything that's not God. Amen. I don't care what you are looking at, how bad it is, how ridiculous it is. Make a commitment. God, let your grace keep the lips of my mouth. Christians yes. tells us that our words should be with grace, seasoned with salt. If it cannot be with grace, shut up. Don't release principalities to bring destruction. 
Because the power of life and death is in the tongue. Careful. Especially with your children. Don't do it. Don't go there. Don't allow the enemy to take you there. No matter what they do, call those things that be not as though they were. Because I'm telling you, you will eat of the harvest if you keep on doing it. Because you are the prophet in your house. So Joseph resolved that. And I'm saying to you and I, even as God is actively at work to manifest your success, you must be sure that you don't put yourself into a position of disqualification. Dr. Norfolk said something two or three weeks ago that I had never really paid attention to when we were doing the seminar for, the, for Valentine. Relationship advance. Said it in person, the thing just hit me. Whoa! What did he say? He talked about the issue of forgiveness. And he said it in such a simplistic way that if you don't pay careful attention, you miss what he said. He said, You are forgivers. Three people got it. You see what I'm saying? 30 people got it. I'll say it one more time. Every born again person is a forgiver. Where did he get that from? Where did we get that from? What's the nature of your father? What's the nature of God? And as a born again person who has been recreated in God's image and likeness, if God your father is a forgiver, what does that make you? So if you don't forgive, you're almost negating your own identity. You are working against who you are. Yes. It's a serious thing, my friend. Listen, if I'm going to say I'm a child of God and I'm carrying God's DNA in me, then it just, I can't be selective. I cannot just do it when it's convenient. If I do that, I'm a hypocrite. A graceful hypocrite. And so if my father is a forgiver, why did he want to kill Jesus? Because he said, him and his father are one. In other words, what my father does is what I'm doing. Hey, don't blame me. Whatever I'm doing, that's what my father does. So by extension for you and I, if my father is a forgiver, and I'm carrying his DNA, you're a forgiver. It is abnormal for a Christian not to forgive. Because inside of you, God placed that DNA to be like himself. So when you don't do that, that is an abnormality. You need to go to the cross and say, cross, deliver me from this abnormality. You should be as aggressive as that as you are for prosperity. This is not normal. So the first things Joseph dealt with was this issue of forgiveness. If he did not deal with that, he would still be in a cage. A freed man physically, but a caged man spiritually. Will never be able to attain to the height that God is calling. 
Are you following me? Now, at this point, I must make a distinction. I've not even gotten into the message. My goodness. Ridiculous. Many of us struggle with the issue of trust where forgiveness is concerned. And we misunderstand trust and forgiveness. We almost think they are the same thing. But no, they are not the same thing. Hear what I'm about to say. The, the reason many of us struggle with being able to forgive is because we think forgiveness comes along with trusting. There are two separate things. And let me help you to understand the separation. Forgiveness is a gift that is freely given without asking. Freely. I've received it. Freely, I give it. Trust, on the other hand, has to be earned. In a human relationship, Yes, understand what I'm saying? Yes, Let me give a clear example. I'm a man. I tell my wife I'm paying the bills. Three months later, she finds out I'm not paying the bills. I've been using the money to gamble. You have a problem. Do you have a problem? All right. Measure. Measure. So I say, honey. <laughs> so I say, honey. I'm sorry. My, my weakness took advantage of me. I was very weak. Those slot machines, I'm just sorry. When, when I pass by them, they call me. And unfortunately, I gave them more than they gave me. <laughs> now, because she's a believer, honey, you're forgiven. No problem. Forgiveness issued instantly. No argument, no debate, no controversy. How about trust? Would she continue to trust me to take up the bills? How do we make... Now, if, if two people are going to live together, trust is the foundation of any relationship. So if I violate that trust, if we are going to continue to live together, I must be able to build it back. So what happens in that kind of scenario? What has happened in that scenario, I, the man who violated the trust, must bring something to the table to help my wife get over the fact that she can no longer trust me in handling money. So I offer to her, honey, from now on, every time I pay a bill, I'm going to show you the receipt to make sure it's paid. Yes. Every time I go to the ATM, I'm going to bring a receipt back so you know how much money I took out. I'm going to put all kinds of things in place yes. to help show her, number one, that I'm sorry about what I did. Yes. And number two, I'm willing to make restitution by putting certain things in place so she can regain back the trust that I've lost. It may be like that for six months, one year, as long as it takes to get me back to where I lost my position. Yes, sir. That's how you break trust. Yes, sir. There's no something as you just violated me. I'm sorry. I forgive you and go back to the same thing without any accountability. 
No, that's madness. <laughs> and if you read the story of Joseph, you know that Joseph put that in place. That's why when the brothers first came, you recognized them instantly, but he didn't tell them who he was. I've forgiven you, no problem. But can I trust you guys again? Hey, snakes in Egypt. So he put them through a series of testings to ensure that he can trust them again before he finally revealed, I am Joseph. So the issue for him was not issue of forgiveness, but issue of trusting. Did you get that? Huge. Now, I use a simple example about money. In our homes, there are things happening that's deeper than money. Deeper than money. Sometimes it could be infidelity. In which case, the approach is different. Now, everywhere, everywhere you go, I want to know where you're going, who you're going with, what you say when you get there. Because now we cannot trust you. You're a dangerous man just unzipping your pants. So in that case, when you say you're going to work at 9 o'clock in the morning, we want to make sure you go to work. How do we make sure you go to work? When you get to work, you call home. Honey, I just arrived. Praise God. I'm going now for work. You have to put things in place to regain the trust you lost. <laughs> you have to. Now, that's if, here, if you're sincere. About building your relationship. Now, if you're not sincere, it's a different story. If you're sincere, you must be willing. I mean, if you don't volunteer it, then your partner can suggest it. And Mr. or Mrs., because you are a violator, you don't have any say in the matter. You have lost your leverage. You are the culprit. You are the one who has offended someone. So when they suggest to you, you need to do A, B, C, D, you don't go to the judge when you're on trial. Ah, there's probation. There's five years in prison. There's 10 years and there's 40 years. You, you can't tell the judge, give me a probation. I prefer the probation. A, B, C, D, I prefer the probation. In fact, acquit me. Just let me go free. No. no. Why is that important? The next time you are thinking of breaking that trust, you remember the consequence. Yes, sir. That puts you in check. Amen? Amen? So Joseph took care of all of those things. Had he not done that, what we are reading today, would have been will have never happened. You need to understand that. Yes. And the reason there's a reason for which I'm emphasizing this. You see, we talk about faith for healing, faith for prosperity, faith for uh, this and faith for that. But we do not understand that the the, 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 the the that faith, as designed by God, was supposed to be lived out first at home. Ah, you doubt that? Okay, let's go to the scriptures. Luke 17. Luke 17. I'll be done in a few minutes. Ah, Luke 17. We have to be able to trust God. That the result God said we will get is what we will get. 
Luke 17 verse 1. Then he said to the disciples, it is impossible that no offenses should come. But woe to him through whom they do come. It would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and he were thrown into the sea than that he should offend one of these little ones. Take heed to yourselves. If your brother sins against you, rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive. And if he sins against you seven times in a day, and seven times in a day he returns to you saying, I repent, you shall forgive him. You see, that's, 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 that's so difficult for me and you. Because we are counting. Greg, this is your sixth time. This is, I mean, are you deaf? This is your sixth time, Greg. Why you keep on doing the same thing over and over and over again? We're counting. And Jesus said, keep on counting. But if they come back and, and repent, forgive them. Now look at verse 5. And the apostles said to the Lord, increase what? Notice they did not say increase our patience. Did you notice that? They didn't say, God, increase our holiness. No, they didn't say that. They didn't say increase our, our, our patience. Man, give me patience with this, my wife, my husband, my brother. My no, that was not the issue. They recognized immediately that what Jesus was saying was, relationally among them, there will be offenses, there will be friction, there will be irritation, for which it requires faith to forgive the individual and keep on moving on. And they said, increase our faith. My goodness. I can believe God for, uh, for healing for cancer. But hey, for Greg, I don't know. Don't miss this message. Home is where most are defeated that they cannot manifest success outside. Fight with your husband. You fight with your wife. You fight with your children continually, you don't know how to resolve conflict, you can't believe God to forgive and move on and you want to go out and manifest success? Because the same faith it takes to manifest success is what it should take yes. to have a home that is peaceable. Does that make any sense? Okay. So now, Genesis chapter 41 Verse 14. Verse 14. Then Pharaoh sent and called Joseph. And they brought him quickly out of the dungeon. And he shaved, changed his clothing, and came to Pharaoh. One of the first things I really want to mention about Joseph's success was his ability to be culturally relevant. Start in verse 14. For the Jews, it was normal for them to maintain their beards. That's a sign of maturity. It's a Jewish man with beards. It shows that he's matured. He's grown. That's why the Bible talks about in Psalms 133 of, uh, about Aaron's beard. It's a sign of maturity. But immediately Joseph got the message that Pharaoh wants to see you. He understood that Pharaoh was not Hebrew. And he needed to connect. It's not enough that you have something I need. It is important that I'm able to convey whatever it is that I'm carrying for you. And if you are not in a position to receive what I'm carrying, it's useless. Many of us have goods that the world is waiting for. 
but we are not able to deliver those goods because we refuse to be culturally relevant. I remember the time when Pastor Bakari first came to the U.S. I was in the house, and he wanted to go to the bank. And he came out in this uh, two-piece African robe. I said to him, where are you going? <laughs> I am going to take you to West Fargo Bank dressed like this. I said, no, I don't think so, sir. Please go and wear his shirt and his trouser. So he asked me, why? 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 I said, because we go to the bank. Before you can even transact your business, 15 people will have stopped you. What, is this? what are you wearing? What does this mean? I mean... We have people that have been on jobs. This is a true story. Within two weeks, they lose those jobs. And they come back around and say, well, I don't understand this. They don't like me. They are prejudiced. No, no, they're not prejudiced. If you go there tormenting them with body odor, what do you think will happen? What do you think is going to happen? Because where you came from, they told you that baking soda is all that takes care of the business. But I'm sorry. Baking soda is equipment failure. If you're depending on baking soda, the day it fails, your entire office will say, please get him out of here. <laughs> True story. A Bible college in this city called me. True story. And they said to me, Pastor Bank, please, come and help us. So I'm thinking maybe they want to give me a curriculum to teach. They want me to come and chair and convocation or something. So I said, okay, what can I help do you need? They said, please, we have a heavy number of African students in our college. And we cannot breathe. <laughs> Am I joking? They said they cannot breathe. Now, we are laughing now, but I don't think it's funny. Okay, don't let me talk about them. Let me talk about myself. Now, this is easy. Let, let me make the fun of, let, let Laugh at my expense. My first job in this great Atlanta, Georgia. This great state of Georgia at the perimeter mall. First job on summer vacation. I was working at Morrison's Cafeteria. Perimeter mall. I mean, counting those quarters, man. You put, put the food on the table, and they put the quarter there. Man, I go to college in the, in the fall. My goodness, this money's coming up. One day, the chief waiter, he calls me, says, Bank, you need to come. Takes me to the back room. This is conversation for the back room. And he says to me, we are losing customers because of you. You can laugh at my expense, that's why. That's why, that's why when you come and hand me these days, I smell very good. Yeah. <laughs> he said, we are losing customers because of me. Now, you, you must imagine, I'm talking about, oh, God knows, almost 40 years ago now. Young man, bewildered, losing customers because of me? What do you mean? Very innocently. I went there, I said, what do you mean? Ah, you want to know? You ever heard of a goat? <laughs> he didn't say it like that. It was, it was very gentle. We know you are a clean person. However, 
you need to take care of your personal hygiene. Another transition for you stink. He said, therefore, since you're walking in the mall, there's help on the way. Get out, leave right now, go to the mall and buy something and take care of it. You sorry. Nobody ever told me so. So I did. And served my job. Because they will not continue to let customers complain because of you. Who are you? They'll fire you and replace you in a minute. So don't come and tell me that because you carry the glory of God, you will not wear the door and you will not stink. You stink big time. I learned my lesson. You better learn yours. I am talking of being culturally relevant. That's how I got there. In the book of Acts, you read how Apostle Paul, who is the champion of the grace message, when the Jews got hold of him, they said to him, I said, listen, your reputation has preceded you. The Jews are waiting for you. They know you are coming. That you are the one that teaches against the law of Moses. And you're telling everybody to forget the law. Hmm. However, in order for you to be received by these Jews, I'm telling you now, Paul, there's a vow that's taking place, a sacrifice that's about to happen, comply so that you can reach these people. What do you think Paul will do? I was shocked. He shaved his head and offered the sacrifice. In the book of Acts. Now, don't go there. I'm not asking you to go do it. Because you're not Paul. But the same Paul says, to the Jews, I'm going to be like a Jew. To the Romans, I'll be like a Roman. And he made it clear why he's doing so. That I might win some of them. So don't come back and tell me that you're going to go home today and kill a chicken for sacrifice because Paul did so. No. Absolutely not. Paul did that. Not because he agreed with their theology or with what they were doing. But he said, you know what? I want to reach them. And if I have to be like them for a moment to build a bridge to reaching them, I'm willing to do so. I hope you understand the distinction. It's important you understand that. Don't come back and sell just say, ah, oh, if Paul can go and offer sacrifice. You went home to your village and your parents say, well, you know what? Uh, so your children can be a rocket scientist. Go and bring a turtle dove and go and bring some cola nuts and a red-headed lizard and we are killed. <laughs> Don't go there. <laughs> Greg, no, so, uh, how many lizards did you kill in your lifetime? <laughs> yeah. How many lizards have you guys killed? No, don't raise up your hands. <laughs> but you get the message. The point here is be culturally relevant. If you want to be successful, find out what makes America. You need to know about this country. You need to know. You need to, you need to have a conversation. Is it football? Is it basketball? Is it politics? Is it whatever? Is it parenting? You need to make yourself relevant. Nobody will listen to you until you can connect with them. They don't care what you know until they know that you do care. Amen? Amen. 
So the first thing Joseph did, he shaved his head, he shaved, or rather he shaved his beard, he changed his garments, and he appeared nicely before Even till this day, there's protocol to see presidents. You know, do you know that? A friend of mine was, uh, he was in Kenya and uh, uh, he travels very casually, didn't have a jacket, didn't have any of this stuff. But while he was on the trip, a chance came for him to meet the president of Kenya. And he told him in his briefing, when you come tomorrow, be suited up and tie. You have to go find a suit and tie. Protocol. So what I'm saying to us is, Let's be culturally relevant. Bridge that gap. Don't allow people to stop you because you are not relevant to where they are. Amen? All right. Number two. Number two. Genesis 41, verse 16 now. And I'm going to stop here today. Genesis 41, 16. Ah, maybe I better not stop. <laughs> and so, and Pharaoh said to Joseph, I have a dream and there is no one who can interpret it, but I have heard it said of you that you can understand a dream to interpret it. So, Joseph answered Pharaoh, saying, it is not in me. God will give Pharaoh an answer of peace. God. This, this was huge. Again, this young lad, now by this time he's about 30 years old, has the chance to really blow his own trumpet. And he will not even let Pharaoh go there. He said, I know what you've been told, but let me tell you, it's not in me. It's God that does this. So he was focused on God's glory, not his own comfort or convenience. He was focused on God's glory, not his comfort or convenience. Let me, let me just use this to make a point. Joseph recognized the source of the wisdom that he has and the gift of interpretation. He recognized it. In other words, he diverted that glory back to God and said, ah, oh, no, no, it's not in me. It's God. God is my source. Let me bring that home to where we are. Many of us right now are still struggling with the basic elementary foundational thing of tithing. Ooh. It's like I dropped something on the floor. The only reason we cannot trust God is because we think we are the source. If I'm having a hard time giving God 10%, the only reason is because I think, oh, I earned a job, I'm smart. Um, this. Um, you still think you are the source. You are making a huge mistake. No. You are the resource. But God is the source. You've got to understand. It's basic. If I cannot trust God with 10%, how in the world do you think I can trust him with heaven? Now, let me say this as well. You are not under any condemnation for not tithing. Do re mi fa sol la ti do. 
Did you hear what I just said? God does not condemn you for not doing it. That was under the law. We will not teach tithing by coercion or intimidation in this ministry. We will never do that. God has delivered us from that and we will not go there. No. He does not condemn you at all. Why? Because Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law. You are not under obligation to do it. However, if you are a wise man or woman, you do it because number one, tithing was before the law, confirmed in Hebrews, where the Bible talks about how he received, talking about Levi, here Levi receives tithes of men, and there, speaking of Jesus, he receives it. So Jesus is still receiving it. We know that he's still doing that. But the more important issue is, under the law, you are compelled to tithe so that you will not be judged or be under bondage or a curse. Under grace, you are are not compelled, but you are encouraged to tithe as an act of thanksgiving for the deliverance that God has already done for you. Very different. Very different. Money is the basic tool through which God judges how really much we trust him. You show me a man or a woman who does not honor God in their tithe. I can show you a man or a woman who does not believe God. Forget your rhetoric. Forget the Christian lingo. Forget all the songs you sing about how you love God, God loves you. No, 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 no. If you cannot honor him with that 10%, no. You are gracefully deceptive. You are graceful. You are gracefully being a hypocrite. Because how can you say, I trust him, but I don't do it? It's, 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 it's mutually exclusive. You, you can say it. But the more important reason, let me give you another reason now. The critical reason that we saw here in Joseph, why it's important. This is where God finds me and you safe for success. If I cannot acknowledge God and honor him in my, success, in, my, in my finance, you are not safe for success. In other words, if you become successful, you're going to lose it. You are not safe for success. You cannot be safe for success. You understand what I mean? Because, because your success is not grounded in him. It's grounded in your bravado, what you can do, what you can accomplish, how far you can go. And if that's it, it will not last. It won't last. You are not safe for success. So for all of you here that's hearing this under the sound of my voice, trust God to repent. When I say repent, I'm not talking about turtle dove or animal sacrifice. I'm simply saying change your mind. Metanoah, that's what it means. Change of mind. Repent. And find the faithfulness of God and see how faithful God is to you. God is faithful. Let me make one last point. Ah, it's too much stuff here. I've given you forgiveness. Talked about the fact that you glorify God. Number three, let me leave you with this today. In Genesis 41, verse 37, 
Bible says, so the advice was good in the eyes of Pharaoh and in the eyes of all his servants. Now, let me, let, me, let me say this. Especially for us Christians, we need to be careful not to try to replace skill set with the father that pray and fast and read my Bible. What ultimately God just promoted was not, oh, how shall I say this? I have to be careful how I say this. What ultimately sealed the deal for him in his promotion was the skill set he brought to the table. His ability to give interpretation, one, but that's not, that's not what they did. His ability to give the wisdom in what to do. There are many people today that look at the U.S. electoral process. Democrats, Republicans. We have all kinds of things to say. This one is not good, this one is not good. How many people have answers? How many people have answers? I'm telling you, if you be an answer man or woman, the world will knock the door part to your door. They are looking for answers. Not commentaries, answers. So Joseph told the man what the dreams were. But beyond that, he said, what you need to do to fix the issue. And Pharaoh said, wow. This kind of wisdom, God placed it in you. I don't need to look any further. You are the man for the job. God brought him to the door. But the skill that God gave him sealed the deal. Yes. Don't park where you are and die. Don't park in the place of complacency. Retool yourself. Acquire some skills that will make you relevant in the job marketplace. In the business place. Oh my goodness. Christians don't like this kind of talk. <laughs> you guys are looking at me very funny this time. Wow, goodness. That's why what Kunle and PJ did here a couple of weeks ago was so important. And we're going to do it again uh, right after our kids come home from school so they don't miss the information. I'm, so, I'm talking about all the college students. So they can participate and be part of it. We're going to do it again. I'm telling you, folks, we believe God. We are favored by God. God brings us to the door. But God also wants to equip me and you with the, with the needful tools to change our world. To change our world. No, you don't have to be, go and take a PhD course and spend the next 15 years. And then by the time you get finished, you are 75 years old. You can enjoy your life again. That's not what we're talking about. That's not what we're talking about. But find something. What's your passion? What's your passion? How can you use that passion to change the world, to glorify God? What do you need to do to retool yourself so that you can be in a position to be a blessing to your world at large? Amen? Are you ready for me to quit? I got three or four more. <laughs> I don't want to wear you out. We pick it up from there next Sunday. Because there's much more. God is after something. Yes. Amen? Yes. All right. Let's just pray. Let's pray. Let's pray. You're struggling with forgiveness. You lack the wisdom to be culturally relevant. What do you need to do? Is it, is it that you need to change the way you dress? 
no, I use Pastor Bakari's example. We are in the two-piece stuff. For you women, you need to be careful. Don't put your headgear and go for an interview. This colorful head, this, this headgear thing that, that's pointing to the North Atlantic. And, and you are very colorful. Like a peacock. You get an interview, they say, ah, is there a peacock here? Be careful. You can't do that. So be culturally relevant. And then number three, ask God to give you the wisdom. Which skill set you need to be, you need to be working on, developing? What's the, what's the area? Father, we thank you. We know you love us so much. Yes. You will never leave us, nor forsake us. And we thank you for that. You encouraged us that as you have forgiven us, Ephesians 4.32, that likewise, we should forgive others. And so, Lord, I don't know who is dealing with what here this afternoon, but you do. We receive the grace, the courage, that we just let it go. It's not worth it. We let it go. We release it. We release it. You already said that vengeance is yours, said the Lord. You will repay. So rather than me getting into it, I'm going to release you, Father God, to fix the matter. And so, Lord God, I receive courage for every man, every woman, under the sound of my voice, that needs to let something go. That in letting it go, they themselves go free. We thank you for deliverance, chains that are broken, shackles that are loosed right now, Lord God, in the name of Jesus. Thank you. We receive it. We bless you for it. And God, we thank you for the wisdom to be culturally relevant. Let's be relevant. Give us the wisdom. Thank you, Father God. And the skill set that we will need to engage the world to your glory, we receive that now. And we follow it up with action. Action will be planned. Not just talk about it, but doing something about it. So thank you, Father God, for encouraging us. We bless and we honor you, Lord. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.